Startle us, O God, with your justice, your peace, your hope, your compassion and love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Early in this week, I found myself on a scheduled monthly phone call with the chairpersons of the Knox session committees, some of the leaders in our church family. It was just a few days after the death of George Floyd, and we began the meeting by going around the room to see how people were feeling. People used words like turmoil and unsettled and nauseous. Others expressed gratitude for peaceful protesters and hope that perhaps we had passed a breaking point and real change might be afoot. Still another person noted that in the midst of all we are facing these days, there seems to be an underlying anxiety to just about everything. This is the world we're living in these days. Many of us are troubled and wish that we knew something we could do. In this sermon, I am hoping to give some suggestions of how faithful people might manage in these days. On April 3rd, 1968, Dr. King delivered his last speech. He would be assassinated the very next day. No doubt King was acquainted with all of the harshest realities of the struggle for racial justice. He was at the heart of it all. And he certainly knew that his own life was being threatened. So I find it interesting to think about the words he used as he closed that speech where those words came from, what they might have meant for him. Listen to King in his own words. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live A long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we the people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The source material for these lines is the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy which is where the Bible tells us the story of the last days of Moses. You may remember about Moses that he's the one who meets God at the burning bush, leads the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt, receives the Ten Commandments, leads the people as they wander in the wilderness searching for the promised land. 
You may also remember that the Israelites do finally enter and settle in the land that was promised, but Moses does not get to go. At the end of his life, Moses goes up to a mountaintop, looks over and sees the promised land, but before he can get there, he dies. There are two things I thought about this week when I remembered that story and Dr. King's retelling of it. First, I thought about how Dr. King was right. The promised land has not been reached. At the end of King's life, the road to racial justice had only just begun, and we still have a long way to go. The other thing I wondered about was Dr. King's personal faith. I wondered how he was caring for his own spirit in the midst of such difficult days. And I started thinking about the story he referenced. He might have chosen any number of Bible stories. In the midst of the grit and the grind of his struggle for justice, Dr. King knew well the Bible's pointed and convicting words about justice. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And also words of today's lesson from Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast that the Lord chooses to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? King knew all of these words. He knew them well. He lived them every day. And he must have been so deeply discouraged at the way people ignored these words. Especially Christian people, church people, who knew what the Bible said but lacked the character or the courage to live out those words. Dr. King knew the Bible's demands for justice. Thankfully, he spoke of them often. He might have spoken of them that night when he knew his very life was at stake. But sometimes, and that last speech is one example, sometimes Dr. King drew upon another kind of biblical wisdom, spiritual wisdom that takes place on another plane of reality. Dr. King took comfort in the trust he placed in God. He trusted God to hold his very life, and he gained courage and strength for the days ahead. Courage and strength for the struggle in the knowledge that come what may, in ways that were a great mystery, he belonged to God. There's a name for what Dr. King was doing. A name people have given to it in the Bible and in conversation about God in the Bible, there's this balance between the realities of life in the world and the realm of the spiritual. And theologians refer to this balance as imminence and transcendence. Imminence and transcendence, these are both characteristics of God. When we say that God is imminent, we mean that God is near. God is in and of the world. God is concerned about the things that happen to us. God cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. God remembers and loves every one of God's children. 
God comes into the world in Jesus Christ precisely to make the point that God loves the world. God is also transcendent. God hovers over the cosmos in creation. God commands the movements of the heavens and exists outside of the human limitations of time and place. Transcendence is mysterious. It's not something we can define or contain, and so our words about it usually take the form of praise and awe. Like in today's reading from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. In his last speech, Dr. King was doing this kind of transcendent thinking when he preached, I've been to the mountaintop, and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. The thing that we most, get, most often get wrong about imminence and transcendence is thinking that they are separate. We often speak of, speak of God either in terms that suggest closeness and intimacy and care for the world, or we speak of God as if God is distant and inaccessible and apart from the world. We have these two separate, disconnected ways of talking about God. And that's a mistake. The truth is so much better than that. The truth is that in ways we cannot quite explain, God is not sometimes imminent and sometimes transcendent, but God is always both at the same time. Dr. King understood this. I sense that he knew it deeply in his soul, so that when life found him in his deepest moments of fear and his greatest reasons for anxiety and despair, he was encouraged by the Bible's imminent calls for justice and fairness, and he was upheld by the transcendent power of God. For King, transcendence was not a distant, detached quality of God. It was real, and it was immediate. When you know about transcendence, when you remember that every single one of us is a child of God with a spiritual essence in our life, you are able to love other people all the more. When you remember the abuse Dr. King and his followers endured at the hands of violent people, when you consider the stamina he had in that struggle, and when you consider the love that he showed in response to hate, I can only conclude that Dr. King had a deep conviction about the sacredness, the holiness of human life. What does this mean for the rest of us? It means that in these difficult days when our spirits are troubled, when our hopes are threatened, when our hearts are overwhelmed, we need to draw upon God's transcendence to help us.
when the imminent challenges of life get hard. It may be tempting to think that a transcendent God cares little for the sufferings of the world, but actually the opposite is true. Remembering that we are spiritual people encourages us to live humanely, to live humanely in the world. We are not simply flesh and blood. We are children of God. Every other person in the world is also a child of God. Dr. King trusted in the transcendence of God. I hope it helped him to endure his struggles and his anxieties and sustained him as he treated other people with justice and love and compassion the way that God intended. That's his example for us. And so, my friends, my spiritual friends, you children of God, do not give up on the struggle for justice. Do not fail in your compassion for other people. Do not get discouraged. Back to that question from the start of this sermon, what can you do? If you find yourself struggling with the disorientation of these times, and if you find yourself wondering, what can I do, here are some thoughts. Today I'm going to attach to the posting of this sermon a list of about half a dozen things that you can do today. They include ways that you can expand your understanding, your education, ways that you can act justly with your money, ways that you can become involved in changing things for the better, and you can do many of these things without any need to leave your home during the pandemic. So if you are still staying there, you can do these things too. I want you to expect that some of these resources are going to challenge you. It is a diverse list, and you will not agree with everything you read. I often do not. But in these days, our world needs as much as ever people who are willing to listen and learn and be challenged before they react. Allow these things to work on you. And if you need to talk with your pastor about something that is challenging you, I would love to have that conversation with you. Do not be discouraged if you can't change the realities of racism overnight. Racism is more than 400 years old in our country. We need to have the endurance to spend time repairing the damage that has been done. In the days ahead, our church will continue to work for a better world. You can expect to hear more about what Knox Church can do together as our church's session gathers for its June meeting. And finally, if any of these resources are brand new to you and you question their origin or their validity, maybe consider this. My spouse is employed by a major global company whose CEO sent a communication to all employees this week about racial justice. He recommended to all of his employees many of the same resources I'm sending you today. So this is not a radical fringe kind of thinking. These are resources that a growing mainstream voice believes in. 
The journey toward racial justice leads to healthy and thriving communities and businesses, and we need to be a part of it. Do not be discouraged. We have seen tragedy in recent days, yes. The lives of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, their lives should not have been lost, and the same is true of many others. And I believe that there is a growing sense in our communities that the time has come for change. Dr. King and so many others have given us a vision of the promised land. Let us chase that vision. And when we are troubled, let's remember the call of our God. As we heard it today in the book of Isaiah, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Amen.